we would like to begin this podcast by acknowledging that the land on which we record is the occupied, traditional, and unceded territory of the Stalo First Nation. I think if we could think about the foundation of the value of this person to the organization and shift our mindset that way, I know there's lots of laws out there, human rights legislation where you can't discriminate. And and I'm very aware of all of the discussions on EDI today, equity, diversity and inclusion, but it's not stopping managers from behaving in ways that actually devalues the contributions of what these women could bring. And due to that fact then, they're usually put in lower paid jobs or they're scrambling for part-time work to be able to you know, fulfill their financial needs. And thus, in a sense, we're relegating them to the poverty line sometimes because they don't have that opportunity to be truly valued and recognized. Uh, within organizations. Welcome to the Ending Poverty Together podcast. I'm Shalane, and we're here to discuss big questions about poverty in bite-sized ways. Andrea Soberg is a professor in the School of Business at Trinity Western University. She has held several leadership positions as well at Trinity Western, including being the dean of two schools where she gave leadership to some of the fastest-growing programs at the university. As Andrea indicates to her students, though, her professional life is only one part of who she is. Much more fulfillment and joy comes from being a mom to three adult children and a Grammy to five grandchildren. She was a single parent for most of her children's formative years and is quite familiar with the competing priorities and challenges that some women face in the workplace and at home and how these things impact one's thriving and surviving in today's world. Andrea, it's a pleasure to have you here today on the podcast. Thank you for joining me. It's great to be here. Thanks a lot, Shalane. I would love to begin with the question that we're asking each guest this season, and it's really a finish the sentence. So if you would begin by talking about poverty is complex because. Okay. I've spent some time thinking about this after you sent me the question, and I I think my conclusion is that there's many variables that could be Mm. causing poverty and we need to be aware of all of these variables and address each of them. Uh, I found that just addressing one cause or when I read research on we're going to uh, take care of education and that might be the concern that we have to be thinking about to correct poverty. I'm I'm starting to realize with even just working with organizations that just by giving good education or opportunities for good education for for women doesn't correct the full problem. And so I think if we understood the variables that are causing poverty overall and um, dealing with them as a whole system, seeing Mm -hmm. these as possible potential barriers um, to women being successful in the workplace or women being paid appropriately, um, I think we could we could have a better answer to um, correcting the issues. And I, I think one example might be the if we think about education and we get people very educated and women very educated, but they walk to the workplace and the workplace because of assumptions maybe by managers or employers that we can't hire these women because they'll take a break for one reason or another mm. forces them into 
maybe a lower paying job or not even a full-time job, which then would have an impact um, on mm-hmm. their financial lives and on their lifestyle, caring for their family and their children. So I don't think we could ever solve poverty without truly understanding all the variables and the barriers um, as this whole comprehensive system. So I, that's my reason why I think it's mm-hmm. very complex. Mm-hmm. Very much a holistic kind of an issue. Yes. Yes, for sure. And you were beginning to touch on this already, but I would love it if we could dig a little bit deeper into what do you see being some of the key challenges women face in organizations in Canada in particular? And how do you think these relate with women living at or below the poverty line? Okay. I I feel with with the amount of time I've spent in organizations and my my area is in human resource management I I've realized over time that the underlying challenge that women face in organizations and I would say that women and many disadvantaged groups face um, mm-hmm. in organizations in Canada but also across the world is that they're not fully or comprehensively valued for what Mm. they offer or can offer to Mm -hmm. society or the economy or the organizations overall. And what I mean by being valued is that the potential employers or the managers, um, they first see a lot of times the challenges that hiring a woman might bring to the organization rather than first seeing all the benefits of Mm. her skills, her abilities, her knowledge, her emotions, her sensitivities, et cetera, what all of these could bring to the organization and how these can actually allow the organization to have a competitive advantage due mm-hmm. to the differences that, that women bring. Um, many of the barriers, consciously or unconsciously, I believe have been constructed that limit the full utilization of what these women can do for a company for for example a barrier might be assuming as i as i indicated in the previous question that um a particular woman let's say of childbearing years or one with young children may Mm -hmm. not be the best supply of labor that's what everybody's talking about today is what's the supply of labor so Mm. may not be the best supply of labor for an organization because just due to the fact of her age or possibly that you know, she does have children, that Mm -hmm. their assumption is she'll take leaves of absence. And by taking leaves of absence or limiting the hours of work when she's available, um, the assumption will be then she's not going to be as productive. And thus, Mm. we're not going to use her and the value that she brings to the organization. And Mm -hmm. so I, I think if we could think about the the foundation of the value of this person to the organization Mm. and shift our mindset that way. I know there's lots of laws out there, human rights legislation where you can't discriminate. And and I'm very aware of all of the discussions on EDI today, um, equity, diversity, and inclusion, but it's not stopping managers from behaving in ways that actually devalues the contributions of what these these women could bring. And due mm-hmm. to that fact, then, they're usually put in lower paid jobs or 
they're scrambling for part-time work to be able to, you know, fulfill their financial mm -hmm. needs. And thus, in a sense, we're relegating them to the poverty line sometimes right. because they don't have that opportunity to be truly valued and recognized uh, within organizations. Mm -hmm. So you referred to laws and things that are put in place in order to address this very kind of discrimination, yet it's still happening. So what kind of solutions do you see here? What do you think organizations can do to assist women facing these challenges? Um, what suggestions do you have? Well, I think one of the major challenges globally right day that I think is going to right, right today is mm -hmm. going to force organizations and force managers to actually truly start to see the value of all people for their organizations. Right now, there is a labor force crisis. Mm -hmm. And with a labor force crisis, um, that means that organizations cannot find the skilled labor from the original from the from the initial pool of labor that they thought they could find mm -hmm. and so the initial pool of labor may be more male dominated um, and thus because of this crisis I think organizations are going to be forced into thinking through mm -hmm. how best could we utilize all within the workforce and all means you know 50% are women Mm -hmm. And so um, I think we're going to see a change. Now, whether or not it's going to be within the next five to 10 years, that's another mm -hmm. question. But, but certainly, I think organizations have, will be forced um, to think through how do we utilize women in the workplace in these jobs that we traditionally thought would not be a good fit for them because of, you know, maybe them having to take breaks, et cetera. But mm -hmm. I, I think we're, we're, we're at that stage where even though people still may discriminate and even though people still may, you know, not truly include people in their, their workplace as fully as they could, I think the global situation is going to force it. Hmm. Okay. So I want to just dig a little deeper into that. The global situation is going to force this. If you were sitting down and having a conversation with someone from an organization, how would you approach this whole topic of the value of women in the workforce? What, what do you think we as women uniquely bring to a workforce? That's an interesting question to ask. I I think we all bring uniqueness. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's the recognition of the uniqueness. I, I think one of the challenges that organizations have is that they have designed jobs in a particular way that captures a particular type of person mm -hmm. rather than thinking about the work that needs to be done and how it could be done by people with different skills, different abilities, um, different ways of going about things. I, I, I think today we have many disadvantaged groups and my, a lot of them are, are immigrants who just mm -hmm. don't speak English as their first language. But the question I would ask is, why is it necessary to have fully conversant English, but they could be fully skilled at, at doing the work? And so I, I challenge maybe how jobs are being designed 
And if we could think differently about how work is designed and what truly the, the competencies or the credentials that are required for the work, if they truly are what we need. And thus, that would then open up to maybe these mm-hmm. other uniquenesses that, that all of us bring. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's, again, looking at the value of all people and what they can bring to the organization. So I think it's it's maybe an old style leadership an old style management that has to change. But I think that will change because mm-hmm. those going into leadership and those going into management are, are from so many different groups. Like it is no longer um, a male dominated area in, in many of these fields. And so I think just those attitudes that are coming into those leadership roles will, will cause some change to occur um, mm-hmm. But I, I think it comes down to us thinking through how do we assume work should be done and is that the right way to design the jobs for the work that needs to be done? Mm-hmm. That's a That sounds like a very large task <laughs> and also very practical, though, that, it, that it's really, it seems foundational, that that's where it starts and then other pieces come into place after that. Yeah. And I, I think, Shalene, also, you know, we might do the job design properly and we might do all of those things. Mm-hmm. But then it comes down to, are you recruiting mm. the people for these jobs? Because you've got that next barrier, you know, mm-hmm. people recruit people. And so you've got these, you know, these these possible un, uh, biased assumptions, mm-hmm. even looking at people coming into jobs. And so I... I I, many organizations, you know, from a from a equity and diversity and inclusion perspective, are saying, okay, how do we stop ourselves up front when we are recruiting our people? Um, how do we stop ourselves from that bias occurring within our, you know, our brains and our thought process? And mm-hmm. so, just just simple things like taking somebody's name off mm-hmm. the application form or taking. Um, off where they did their education. Um, You will need to know that in time. Mm -hmm. But why allow anything there that could bias your decision right up front uh, Mm -hmm. for anyone coming into a job? And and so I, I think there are ways that we can start to break down those barriers if indeed we've created the jobs properly, that will be very um, attractive to to people of all, you know, uh, genders and colors, et cetera. But it would allow us to truly look at what the person can bring versus Mm -hmm. who the person, you know, is with the color of their skin or the gender, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I recall in an unconscious bias training, that I was leading, there was a video about a particular orchestra that was notorious for having far more male musicians than female. And so they started doing rehearsals with the musicians behind a curtain. And almost immediately, the the bias disappeared. Yes. Be- yes. And it became very clear that there was you know, there was a, a gender bias at play in that. So that seems like a very um, tangible, practical difference that can be made. Yes. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is very much connected to issues of poverty, 
because if women and we're talking, you know, we keep coming back more specifically to women because we're releasing this episode close to International Women's Day. And I know that the um, the challenges of women is something that's very near and dear to your heart. You're very passionate about. Uh, but I think when we're talking about women not having access to the higher paying jobs, it can lead to living below the poverty line. Are there other things that come to mind that you would say make women vulnerable to being in that position? Um, I think, you know, definitely the access to education and education in fields maybe that we've, as women, not typically tended towards you know, if we go back to just thinking about, you know, our elementary school years or, or high school years, or even thinking about women in other cultures where mm-hmm. they were moved into certain career paths. Um, certainly going back to how education is provided and encouraged um, for uh, women, I think that certainly helps us to be more skilled uh, in those fields and, and being able to move into those fields, um, mm. the challenge will be if you're the only woman, though, that's, you know, there at the workplace, mm-hmm. y- you've got to be strong skinned, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to to make it through. I mean, my beginning career, um, I was one of maybe the only one on many occasions and one of very, very few in mm-hmm. some of the senior management ranks or even as a, a faculty member in a school of business. So, um you gotta you gotta be able to be confident in mm-hmm. who you are and what you have to offer, but it is sometimes an uphill fight. Mm-hmm. So I think you know education for sure, jobs for sure. I, I think also organizations need to think through you know, the whole equal pay for work of equal value, mm-hmm. and we're still dealing with that today. Mm-hmm. So it's not just okay. I got the education and I got the right job, but in the end, right. has the organization truly thought through the equity aspect of compensation? So mm-hmm. I, you know, there's other little things that maybe are still at play. Not little, they're large, I suppose, at play that can have an impact on women still struggling um certainly mm-hmm. the child care and the elder care um mm. you know i i was a single parent i raised my children by myself mm-hmm. um it was hard it was really mm. hard financially but then you've got the competing priorities of i've got to be home to go to the parent teacher interviews and mm-hmm. I, I am very fortunate and very blessed that i work for an organization that was able to accommodate that lifestyle that that those needs that I had at uh-huh. home, but I can say that most wouldn't. You know, right. I, I I had an aging mother. Um, she passed away many years ago, but you know, I was I was caring for her to a large extent mm-hmm. as well. And so, m- women carry those extra roles mm-hmm. that yes, I know men do as well to a certain extent, but more often it's the woman. Mm-hmm. So you add that to our picture of how do we balance everything, and then still live um, a good enough life financially that we can support ourselves, you know, and, and do mm-hmm. um, other, other things that we want to do with our kids and, and that we want to do with ourselves and improving mm-hmm. our lives. So um, there's a lot more to the picture. So, you know, I mean, we could think about governments stepping up mm-hmm. and doing something for child care or elder care or, you know, just making it so that we as women 
can can take the responsibility that has been given to us and mm-hmm. and gladly so you know we accept those responsibilities but still be able to um live a life that is giving us financial support that we can care for ourselves and others the way we'd like to. Mm-hmm. Well, and when you talk about uh, systemic kinds of things, I think right back to what you started talking about in this question, the education piece and early childhood education, what opportunities are presented? Are they presented as available to both boys and girls? Yes. Or are there some very stereotypical kinds of things? I mean, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not 20 anymore. So <laughs> I went to elementary school a few years ago. But honestly, I remember saying at one point that I wanted to be a businesswoman. And I was laughed at. Mm-hmm. And and the the idea really was that's not available to you. You can be a teacher. You can be a nurse. You know, you can have sort of this track. And I think hopefully things have changed somewhat since I was yeah. there. Yeah. But you know what, Shalane? I think one of the other things is uh, how does a father relate to a daughter? Hmm. And I had a phenomenal father who mm-hmm. told me from a very young age, and this is back in the 1950s, 1960s, mm-hmm. so you can now age me there. But he encouraged me right from the beginning. He never said, um, you can't do that. So I think, you know, men as fathers can also have a huge influence on Hmm. young girls and young women um, Hmm. in just encouraging them to be all that they can be rather Mm -hmm. than, you know, saying, really, that's a better career for you. So I... I was raised by an incredible man who really just said, you go for it, Andrea, you try it, you know. Mm. Um, And I remember he died very early, but I remember him saying when I got my master's degree, how I had achieved his dreams. And it was his Mm. dreams for me that I would just keep going. And so Mm. I, I think I think we need to help fathers to to be good models to their daughters to yes. say, you can do it. You can do yeah. it. It's a beautiful point. Interesting that you would say that. Uh, it was my father who actually inspired me to be a businesswoman. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, I, I appreciate you pointing that out. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Now, you have mentioned that you were a single parent for yeah. most of your children's formative years. I'm wondering what role that plays in the passion that you have for women's issues in Canada. I suspect there's a connection. (laughs) I don't think I've ever really thought about what has driven my passion for women's Hmm. issues. I think um, women, we're resilient and we Mm -hmm. step up to the Mm -hmm. challenge. Many of us just step up to the challenge I didn't think about it at the time, I, um, but I do remember the days when um, <laughs> I was definitely uh, going into that that extended limit, you know, that that the mm. banks give you for your paychecks. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, just thinking, how do how do people do this? Um, my, I would, you know, read all the books on how to do 
you know, household financial planning and we'd have the envelope system. You know, my kids today laugh at me when I, when, when I remind them because they hated it, you know, and I would take my paycheck and I would put so much in for food and so much in for gas and so much in for entertainment. And they, they learned, you know, when there was nothing left in the envelope, Mm -hmm. sorry, there wasn't the pizza night or um, that. So I, I think I was just living. I was learning Mm -hmm. how to live and, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it was difficult, but looking back, you know what, I've seen success with my kids and they're great adults and they're great mm-hmm. parents. And, um, so I, I don't know that it's passion for women's issues. I think it's passion for caring, caring for mm-hmm. all who are, um, having these difficulties, these financial difficulties, these family difficulties, these mm-hmm. caring for their parents, um, all of them. And I, I think as society, uh, we in Canada anyway, we've moved away from sort of the collective of, you know, the mm-hmm. family staying together or communities sit, staying together and we're alone mm-hmm. and we're alone. And right. um, I think that's one of the hardest is being alone through all of this. And mm-hmm. um, I had a great support system. I had my mom. Um, I had friends. I had my church. Um, mm. But there are many who don't have that. And mm-hmm. uh, so I think my passion is more in making sure people are safe and honored and valued. And, um, and you know, my hope is with what I've been doing here at the university and teaching both men and women, but in teaching mm-hmm. is, is to help them understand um, the responsibility of being a human is we, we make sure all, even in businesses, we make sure our systems and our processes truly do value and honor the people that we bring mm. and care for them and think about their challenges and 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 provide assistance when we can. So mm-hmm. I think that's really where my passion is, is people, not just women's issues, mm-hmm. but people and, and caring for our, our people resources. Mm-hmm. Andrea, I'm curious, tell me a little bit more about your students and what, what do you think are some of the unique challenges that they are facing? Uh, you've been in education for a few years, and um, what what's changed? Um, I think one of the things that I'm seeing, especially in the courses that I teach, is um, which is in the area of human resource management, I teach mm-hmm. undergrad students and I teach grad students who are quite mature. And the grad students are very international, like from from all over the world. I think uh, the things that I've started to see is their values in the sense of what they're looking for, their work-life balance, et cetera. The values that they're looking for in organizations have shifted. They Mm -hmm. are now starting to, the students truly do want to see balance between their careers and their families. Mm-hmm. They want they want to ensure they're treated properly, like they do understand, um, you know, diversity and equity, or at least they really do recognize that this is important. Mm-hmm. They they understand um, actually the benefits of diversity, and mm-hmm. they they want to be in a diverse group. I mean, Canada is such a multicultural um, work environment mm-hmm. and community, but they are they are used to that. And they, mm-hmm. they, I believe, I believe they're seeing the value of that multi-ethnic um, community 
um, more than maybe a previous generation of students have. And they do know that that is the workplace for them. But, you know, not only it's, it's going to be that way and they need to figure out how to work together, but it's also they want their employers to truly value all that they can bring. They don't want to mm-hmm. be used and abused. And right. so they are being quite discerning on the jobs and the oh, organizations okay. that they're taking. Um, they're yeah. not just going for the first, the first job and they're not particularly going for the best paid. They are hmm. looking at the work environment. Which really speaks to them owning that value of work-life balance. Yes, yes. If they're not. I can imagine someone listening and saying, you mentioned the, the benefits of diversity. Just very quickly as we're coming to a close here, can you just kind of summarize? What, what do you see as being the benefits of a diverse workforce? Well, <laughs> there's a lot of articles I refer to. Yeah. Uh, many demonstrate to organizations there is an increase in revenue and mm-hmm. there's an increase in productivity when mm-hmm. there is diversity. Um, and so, you know, at the bottom line, that's what always organizations are looking for. But I think um, the, the main value that I would see of having a diverse workplace is different ways of thinking. And the more you can think differently, maybe um, in innovations, because of your either your cultural background, your past experiences, even your age, um, mm-hmm. bringing all those together would allow one organization to possibly create a product, product or deliver a service that is so very different and so very unique to mm-hmm. another organization that that they become much more competitive. So, I mean, you know, it, mm-hmm. I'm speaking in business terminology here, but really the advantages of the diversity are, are quite immense in, mm-hmm. in just um, difference of thought and how we think and how we work together. It's, it is really opening up for so much more creativity and, and innovation than maybe we've had before. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thank you for that. Andrea, as I mentioned, we are very quickly coming to the end of our time here. I am wondering if you have any closing thoughts. Is there anything that you were hoping I would ask you that we didn't touch on? Anything else you'd like to comment on? Um, I think I just want to highlight once again that employers, organizations, managers need to truly understand the full value Hmm. of what women bring, what all bring to the Mm -hmm. workplace and figure out, figure out how to utilize all those value adds um, Mm. in the workplace um, such that, well, the organization benefits, the manager benefits, but you are now really seeing the supply of labor in a different way than maybe you've looked at before. And as I said at the beginning, there is very little supply of labor that organizations can choose Mm -hmm. from today. And women are part of that group that I don't think we've really, really tapped into. And Mm -hmm. so I just really, I'd like to just continue to encourage organizations, but even, even governments to, Mm -hmm. to start to offer better opportunities, you know, to fund organizations so they can uh, offer apprenticeships or internships or whatever it is that would truly develop women um, Mm -hmm. and and some of these other disadvantaged groups 
to be part of their organization and assist the organization in growth. So, so maybe the final comment is just rec- truly recognize all of who you've got. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think we're going to see a real change, a real change in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking time to be with us. One final question. If people would love to connect with you, how might they find you? Um, I'm certainly at Trinity Western's website. Okay. Um, you know, and they can connect through email. Um, my phone number would be there as well. I'm on LinkedIn. So okay. you know, if they want to find me, they definitely could through those avenues. Okay. That's perfect. Well, thank you so much again. We appreciate your time and the thoughts that you've shared with us. You're very welcome. It was great to be with you, Shalane. To explore what your next steps could be or find out more about FH Canada, start by checking out fhcanada.org resources.